excited for you all to join us for another episode. And we've got a treat for you today. My good, good friend, Charmaine, joined us for the podcast. She has such an incredible story. I'm blown away at the woman of God that she is today and just how much she has just grown over the years that I've even known her, but she is truly a world changer. She's a realtor. She's married. She's in hospitality. She's a mom of three kids under four. That's wild to me. (laughs) Like if you didn't think of everything else in her life, just like that alone is so like overwhelming to me as a mom of two, but just her life story. She is such an overcomer. As you all listen, just the different phases of her life were just, just really blew me away. What a special woman and what a special calling over her life and her family. Just really unbelievable. So hope you all grab a cup of coffee and dive in. We're so excited for you to listen to Charmaine and we just pray that her story inspires you. When you find yourself between here and there, the now and the then, it can feel difficult to embrace life and all that it has to offer, especially when you feel like you haven't arrived yet. Wherever you're at though, we wanna help in that beautiful struggle of transitioning well through aspects of faith and life with The Places Between, a podcast all about transitions. Hi, I'm your host, Wendy. I'm a storyteller and a creative with a passion for adventure, fitness, and faith. What began as a love for travel, experiences, and community turned into helping clients around the country tell their own stories and inviting others to join them. I've always been passionate about people fully living. That means navigating those places between, opening up a safe space to have conversations and encouraging growth along the journey. So join me as we explore what it's like to transition well on the places between. Charmaine, I'm so excited you're here. It's so good to see you. You too. Let's get to know Charmaine and tell us uh, a little bit about who you are, what the world sees, maybe a thing or two that social media doesn't get to see, and um, things that you're passionate about right now. Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me. I'm super excited since we've talked about this for so much over the years. And a little about me is like, like Wendy said, I'm a Jesus lover and been transformed inside and out throughout my life. I love running mostly for the challenge and it helps me struggle with God together. It's my God time. Mm-hmm. Super passionate about my kids and my husband. We love to travel and um, we have such a passion for helping people find homes for their future and sell their homes. And I have such a huge passion for sharing the gospel and teaching and equipping women. Um, And in this season of life, mostly moms is where I'm really being used and refined. And something people don't probably know about me right off the bat is my passion for karate from, I'm a third generation in karate. And so um, that's something I'm passionate about that people don't know about. 
<laughs> not much because it's based in Florida where I'm from. So I don't get to practice in, in DC. I don't think I even knew that about you. <laughs> I knew your uncle because of his passion for that. My dad is my sensei and it's, it's a part of the Fernandez family. So it's wow. just who we are. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. And you could protect Chris from getting heart, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. Well, one of the things that I loved about meeting you years and years ago was your thirst for life and your passion for travel. I totally feel like we were kindred spirits like right away from day one. And working Um, out. (laughs) Absolutely. I remember we would like do workout videos, talk about the marathons we ran because I'm not much of a runner anymore. I still do my weights, but you have done quite the amount of races. You did an ultra, right? Yeah. So right after Chris and I got married, you know, they say in, in marriage counseling, preparing for marriage counseling, don't do anything crazy your first year of marriage. Well, that's not Chris and I go figure. So Chris signed up for his first full Ironman. And I was like, well, if you're doing this crazy training, I need to jump in too. So I signed up for a 50 mile marathon on the beach. My gosh. In Destin, Florida. And I wasn't a runner when I lived in Florida. So it's not like I had beach training. Yeah. So I did 50 miles on the beach and Destin, Florida. And it was amazing. Training, I think, was more amazing than anything, but crazy. So yeah, I'm actually in training right now for a marathon. It'll be my first full marathon from having all these kids. Wow. That's amazing. We'll we'll be praying for you every step of the way. That's amazing. I know you also have incredible work ethic and drive. You have also sadly been through just a journey of adversity from a young age. I've been privileged to hear some of those stories in some of our long walks on the beach, actually. <laughs> I see a recurring um, theme here. <laughs> yes. Man, the beach represents healing to me. Me too. Me too. I'm just... I've gotten to see so much beauty in your own story in so many ways. I would like to rewind back all the way to your early years. If you can give us a little bit of background on some of your life's most pivotal moments before relocating to DC. Absolutely. So I wasn't raised in a Christian home, right? But God was very present even in that. So I was raised around a lot of addiction and a lot of different abuses that I've seen around me. Nothing to me, but just around me in general. And so at a young age, I saw what real life could look like. And I faced head on the addiction. Number one was was very real in our life. My brother, my big brother and I, uh, my mom was a recovering drug addict and my father was never an addict, but he was a part of that process. And so you know, that was one of the youngest things that I dealt with growing up and seeing what that looked like, not being sheltered or surrounded by a protection of, of what that, of the world, right? So it was very exposed. I, I didn't grow up in this like white picket fence mentality, right? So exposed at a young age, sexual sins and, and different things like that. So I would say that when I was 11, Uh, It was the first time that my mom went to rehab and that really rocked my world. And she was my best friend. And so my brother and I dealt with that and what that looked like. And I think that that was one of the biggest steps towards a direction that God was going to use later in our, in our lives and what that looked like. And so, but being so young and dealing with that was, was not easy. Right. And I think that that definitely makes me a different person and being showing compassion 
to addiction. And a lot of people don't know what that looks like and they don't understand how to sit there by someone and support somebody that's walking through that. So that's one of the biggest at a young age that I faced. And then after that came my own brain condition that I dealt with when I was 16. Yeah. Being diagnosed with hydrocephalus, which is I produced too much brain fluid in the ventricles of my brain. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, you know, that's that's not a big thing. Oh my gosh. At 16, how do you... Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. So I was super involved in a lot of different things. I was cheerleading and karate and um, working at a hotel since I love hotels, right? My dream since I was a kid is to own a hotel. So I started working at a hotel when I was 16 and thank God for insurance. I was on my own insurance, go figure. (laughs) And a girl fell on my head at cheerleading practice and it triggered this pressure And come to find out my ventricles were three times larger than the average person. So I shouldn't have even been able to really be doing anything I was doing. And so I had emergency brain surgery and got a shunt put in, which is like a catheter that drains brain fluid. Go figure. (laughs) Wow. That is wild. It is wild. And, you know, but that taught me a lot about myself too. Like I didn't let it shake me, right? Instead of, you know crying wolf. I went to the best hospital outside of Tampa. My mom didn't leave my side. I had cheerleading competition a few months later and I did it. And, you know, it's just, it's crazy because when I tell people I have brain surgery, they're like, what? (laughs) And when it's such a rare thing and most people with hydrocephalus are not functioning to my to my level of functioning. So it's just another miracle. It's kind of like God was like, I'm going to go ahead and do all these checks right next to you. So we can show society that they can put you here, but I'm going to put you here, right? I'm going to use that. I'm going to use all of these things that could set you in a different place and be able to relate with people in a different way, right? So. Absolutely. Wow. Well, and you just think like, had you not been through so much of the traumatic moments upbringing, any kid that has never had a problem, so to speak, I mean, I'm sure everybody's had their own fair share of problems, but turn 16 and then realize they have a brain condition that almost becomes their own narrative of like, that's the issue they struggle with. That becomes their biggest problem. Had you already been through so many other things, it's almost like God kind of knew that your strength and your character, and we're just going to work through this together. And obviously that was before you knew Jesus, right? Wow. Yes. But I accepted Jesus as my savior when I was young. And, but he wasn't a relationship, right? It was just, I didn't understand the difference, right? Like now I do, I know what a relationship looks like versus religion. And when I look back at all these things in my life, especially in those time periods, I can see how that pain God was going to use for good. Right. And in that time period of like 11 to being 11 to 16, so much happened in just that little window. And I see 11, 16 year olds now, and I'm like, Wow, I was really rocked at that young age. I can only imagine what that young person is going through right now when they have all these other things at their face that I didn't have. And it was rough, you know? Yeah. So at 16, that's when my niece Marlena was born too, who was like a daughter to me growing up. So like, you know, I I see all this now when I look back as someone that's almost 40 and I'm just like, oh my gosh, like, yeah, God is good. Like God is so good. (laughs) 
Yeah, absolutely. And he protects us from things that we're not even aware of, seeing the way that he came through in so many of those moments. Yeah. And I think he allows you to go through things that we wouldn't think he would just to get you to that other place. And like I said earlier, be able to say to someone, I've been there. Mm -hmm. I know that. You may think I don't know that because I don't look that way now, but I've been there. And I think there's so much growth in that. And there's so much desire to share that because it's a passion and compassion that you only get when you walk through those things. Mm -hmm. I feel like you get that star, right? Like, oh yeah, I've been there, done that. I know what I'm saying. (laughs) But kind of like what you said, when you look a certain way, people just assume there's nothing going on or you don't have a past or... You know, I've had conversations with a handful of people regarding different levels of spiritual warfare, and they tell me the depths that they've been through and, you know, listening and hearing their stories. And then I say, I so can relate. This is what I've been through. And just, I like, remember the shock on their faces of like, wait a minute, you understand what I'm talking about, or you understand you know, a a health condition that the rest of the world can't see, but you still have to manage. It's that credibility, right? It's that credibility that we all are longing for to get from other people or even talk to someone that has that credibility that they could relate or guide, right? Absolutely. So I know that you talked about some of the just wild experiences of growing up that didn't you didn't get your badge of honor at 16 or 17 upon recovery and then go smooth sailing from there. Do you mind talking about what happened in your early 20s? Absolutely. So, you know, I never touched drugs. That was never my my thing. I learned from, you know, seeing my brother and my mom, my dad and my family and my friends um, deal with with addictions, with drugs, but sexual addiction, I think is a really real thing. And a lot of people don't talk about, especially on, on the girl side, the female side. So I do think, well, no, I know that that was my stronghold for me. And that was, it's crazy when you're walking through that, you're not like, Oh no, I'm not a sexual addict. Never. That's crazy. But you know, when looking back and when I look at the transformations in my life, like that, that's a very real conviction that I had when I started to work on that relationship with the Lord and what that looked like. And that was one of the first things that had to go was taking that perversion that the world kind of taught me of what sexual sexuality looked like. And I had to learn what God's design for sexuality looked like. And, you know, that was hard. That was so hard. And forgiving yourself, allowing yourself to get that forgiveness from the Lord that he offers and accepting that. See, I get teary eyed because it's such a real thing. And I see so many people now struggle with that, letting go of that stronghold. Look at that. You know, that's real. (laughs) So, you know, and I, for me, that was it. And I think, God puts community in those places to help you walk through that. Cause there's no way I could have done that if I was living the way I was. Mm -hmm. So that was one of the realest things for me. I think in my early twenties is using relationships and not letting them get to a level of deepness Mm -hmm. with with guys, not letting them get to that point where they could know who, who I was per se. And I would always date guys that would technically never really add up to 
where I was going in my life because my career was number one and nothing was going to get in my way. So everything could be running around crazy over here. But I was so focused on my career in the hospitality industry that I was like, the world could be going crazy, but I am focused here. And I now looking back, I know that God used that drive that I was raised to have to protect me and to get me ultimately to D.C., that really was the driving force was my career and going forward. I'm not someone that likes to stay, stay in the low point. I, I, I'm like, okay, I'll put my big girl pants on and move on. So, you know, but the sexuality thing I think is huge. And it definitely looking at it now, I, I don't allow it to define who I am, but it was a big part of my past. And it definitely is used in a mighty way now because I definitely share that with people and Reclaiming your purity is something I've taught in the past, and it's a, it's a real thing, you know. And I think a lot of us hold on to what what we did in our past sexually, and you know, you bring that stuff into marriage if you don't clean it up before, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And that's real. <laughs> well, and even like I can recall what it's like to carry around that weight of shame based off of growing up in a Christian home, I became very serious about my faith pretty much right after college, but that didn't prevent me from making wrong choices or choices that I thought were fulfilling at the time. And then even just, there's something that the enemy loves to use this tool of shame just to get us to hide and not share our stories you know, exactly what you're talking about when you're surrounded by community that actually loves you regardless of your past. And it's like, I'm committed to you no matter what. There's something true about that shame doesn't have to be our narrative. And with Jesus, like all of that can be, all of that can be swept away. Absolutely. And, you know, he puts people in your life that aren't there to shame you, but to help grow you. Mm -hmm. And there's a handful of friends that are still some of my best friends now that God put in my life to show me, look, you can go out dancing, which I love, and travel and have fun and not sin against me and not live how the world is telling you to live. And I used to, people used to always tell me, show me the company you hang with and I'll tell you, that will tell you who you are or whatever. And I used to be like, oh, please, that is ridiculous. And then, <laughs> and then I have this whole change of life and have these amazing friends that obviously we're all imperfect, but to be able to hang out with or do stuff and like make your mistakes, but offer each other grace and forgiveness. I recognize I did this wrong guys. Like, please help me. Like, I, I want to forgive myself in this. And can you forgive me for bringing you into this or whatever, you know, yeah. but those relationships are pure. And yeah. like, that's what it's, it's such a good example of how God has put us in this community together and not to do this alone. Mm-hmm. And even just surrounding like ourselves, not necessarily with people that let us get away with everything. Exactly. That, that can be easy to fall into as well. But It's almost like when you have those initial conversations and you understand someone's values and the way that they conduct themselves and you go out, it's, it almost also holds you to a different level of accountability as well. Accountability is huge, Wendy. Like, I think that that's probably one of the biggest things in my early friendships when I moved to DC and I had a very tight group 
friends. It was that accountability that I needed. My friend Rachel and I used to do uh, devotionals together, like just email each other. It wasn't a conversation. It was like, oh, I read this today. This is what I got out of it. And we move on. And that was a great step for me. Like it's not overcomplicating life, right? And then, you know, now Bethany and I do just have talk, like what's going on? You know, it's the easiest thing to do, but like we all get caught up and forget like the basics. Totally. Totally. I love that you guys are still friends. Yeah. It's it's cool to see the different seasons of life and yeah, how God does. I mean, it's, it's a continuation of his promises to us, you know, that you're not meant to do this alone. And now our kids are growing up together and like, we get to have these organic relationships that we go through hard stuff with and like to see at the end is just, it's amazing. It's Mm -hmm. people always say like, wow, y'all been through. And I'm like, yeah, but you know what? This takes work. It's, Mm -hmm. it's both ways, right? You can't have a relationship one way, like it's both Mm -hmm. ways. And I think that's why it's so organic. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So I do want to touch on one other thing before you talk about DC And I believe you were 22 when your mom passed. More tears are coming. Yeah. (laughs) Gosh. I just, I was, no one should have to go through losing a parent or a child prematurely. And to be 22 when you lose your parents, I can't even fathom. So, Let's dive into that. You can go as deep as you want. It's a safe space. What would you choose to share with us um, apart from, you know, losing your whole world? Yes, I lost my mom July 1st, 2004 and um, to a chemical mixture of drugs, Xanax and methadone. And that rocked my world. Like she was my best friend. We were very close, obviously. That day is very monumental in my life, I guess is the word we could say. So my dad um, went to a federal camp July 21st, 2003 for some drug charges. And that date, a year later, my mom died that same day, a year later. And that date brought so much pain um, to me. And I was you know, I, I don't think I was your normal 22-year-old. I was very established in my career already. I was going to school at night. I was a manager at the hotel during the day. I had a passion for life already. But, you know, everything kind of stopped. I got, it was very surreal for me. I got, I, I saw her playing on the chair. Like, I, you know, it was, it's something I will never forget. Let's just say that it's surreal. But at that same time, I, that's what I think I really became who I am, right? I, I'm very much a driven, I get the job done, right? I plan and I go and I execute. And mm-hmm. uh, that was, that's just how I've always been. And my mom raised me to be that way. She raised me to never depend on a man. She raised me to always go. And, you know, time management is a gift of mine, right? But I was raised with that gift. <laughs> my mom had me everywhere doing everything because she didn't have the opportunity to do those things growing up. So she made sure me and my brother had every opportunity to do whatever we wanted, sport-wise, whatever. Wow. And you know, I think time management-wise, that was big to teach me because that's how we get things done for the kingdom too. You know, you have to be a good steward of your time. But the pain was real, Wendy. And like, I was in very low points in that time. And I made a lot of bad decisions sexually, you know, all of those 
things, those strongholds in my life. Um, I didn't have my dad around who was also very, very close with. My brother was in a spiral, just trying, just numb. He had a really bad drug problem from that, just spiraling. So we didn't have our mom or dad then at that point. And Marlena was in the mix. My niece, not my mom, um, had custody of. And so, you know, I had to put my big girl pants on and figure that out too. You know, so it's a lot of balancing, but I would say that day brought a lot of pain. And, you know, fast forward July 21st, 2017, my son was born the same day. <laughs> wow. So that wow. day, you know, first the man of my this the man of my life, my dad, the strongest man I know, went to went to a federal camp. A year later, my mom died, the strongest woman I know, person that made me who I am, died. And then Fast forward to 2017 and my son's born, my firstborn, who I went through so much to get. (laughs) Wow. He was born naturally. So it's not even anything planned. Like that's God's ordained perfect timing in that. And, you know, when we talk about the birth of Gabriel and, and that whole process, like that's a whole nother God's timing. Right. And So, but yeah, like losing my mom is really hard, but you know what it's been able to do is once again, being able to relate to people, meet them where they are and that rawness and that realness and be like, I know the pain hurts. Like I know it hurts and it won't go away, you know, but you will learn to live with it. You will learn to love people where they are, whatever situation and, and and sympathize and be compassionate. Wow. Wow. wow, that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing. That's absolutely. I think people can become paralyzed to the point that their lives just stop after losing someone. And unfortunately, because of your age, you really didn't get that choice. And you were caretaker, provider, like pseudo, you all know, the mama, <laughs> all the things for Marlena and anything I know of your story is you have been like the solid rock that your whole family has gotten to watch, like take a really terrible past and flip it on its head and say, like, it doesn't stop with you, enemy. Get out of our story and let's see God redeem every single moment. Yeah. I mean, I'm constantly reminded of generational curses and, you know, that's biblical and seeing what those look like and recognizing those and and praying through them and, and taking action that God's put on your heart and convicted you to do to make those wow. changes and break those chains, right? And my brother and I both have said this and have walked through this in different ways, breaking those chains and proclaiming that that next generation, the enemy does not have that stronghold in their lives. They're not brought in with it. And yeah, I would say on on my side with our kids, like Chris and I worked really hard to bring them in this world in a, in a way and, and show them by living by example and showing them what forgiveness looks like and living with purpose of not the world, but of the Lord. So... Absolutely. I love that. So was DC always a plan or was that something that just became your next stop? Yeah. So DC was never the plan. I never wanted to leave Tampa. That was, that was never the plan. Wow. I'm a Florida girl. That was definitely not something I ever wanted or desired. So, but I worked um, in the hotels and had the opportunity of a lifetime to, to go sell the, a first tier city in a major market. And I was only 26. And that was a huge opportunity. And I didn't want to do it. And I 
I, I had a relationship with God, but it wasn't, it wasn't like it is like it was supposed to be, <laughs> but I, I knew, I knew it was, I knew I had to go. And my dad, um, said, if you walk out, if you leave, you're walking out on your family. Cause I was the glue of it all. And I told him, I was like, dad, this is, I have to go. Like, this is such an opportunity for me. I just, three years is all I need. And then I write my own ticket. It was hard. And I had to commit to calling. I call my dad every day, still to this day. Yeah. Worked through that. It wasn't easy, but I left everything and, and I did it. And it was, it wasn't easy. I just, I'm not, I've never been like a city girl. Yeah. Or the beach girl. (laughs) Totally. I can relate. A thousand percent. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us, you go to DC for those that are listening, they're at, that are in the middle of a transition, something new, a new place to live. How did you meet people? How did you get plugged in? You said that you knew God, but you weren't necessarily like super passionate about the church at that time. What did that look like? So this is another example of how God just meets you where you are. So I literally moved to DC in January and went on a conference to Orlando, Florida. And I hung out with some hotel friends and all from DC. We were all together and we had a crazy few nights at the hotel world, just having fun (laughs) and working of course, but (laughs) hotel work is fun. And so we got really close, came back. I saw my friend, her name is Jade. And she, I said, Oh, how's it going? And it was like Valentine's day week or something. And I said, would you do this week for Valentine's? She's like, Oh, I went to this retirement home and painted, you know, painted their nails and it's called pretty and polish and all this stuff. And she's like, you should come with me to church. And I'm thinking, wait, me and this girl just had a crazy time in Orlando with some friends. And this is not who she was, right? She was not this party girl. She liked to have fun. And that was her. And, but always within boundaries, like we didn't do anything crazy in Orlando, but it was, it caught me off guard. And I was like, oh yeah, I'd love to go to church. She's like, oh, you'll love it. Great music. So I went to this church with her and it was amazing. Like it was a room full of young people, hundreds of young people with contemporary music, a, a word, anointed word from a pastor who knew how to talk to where I could understand. And just being around young people that all love Jesus or wanted to know Jesus. And next thing you know, she invites me to her Bible study. And at that point, I'm one foot in, one foot out, right? I'm, I'm loving this. Like, I love the accountability, love just being together. And I was searching for something already because I already felt I wanted to get back, go back home. Mm-hmm. I, was, I felt like I, was, I made a mistake. Mm-hmm. And but I was living two lives, right? I was going to the church with her. I was going to her Bible study, but I was still like, I'm not a partier, but like going out, hanging out, you know. And so just one foot in, one foot out. And it Going got out to late, socializing. Yeah. <laughs> and I got to this place where I felt like God was saying, you're, you're either, you're the hero there. And G- and Jade told me, she's like, Charmaine, you're either in this, in this Bible study or not in this Bible study. Like you can't be playing with these girls emotions. Cause you come and I'm, I'm very real. Like I just, that's who I am. So I'm spilling my guts, sharing these things with these girls. And she's like, you got to pick, like, you can't be one foot in one foot out. And I was like, okay. So then I started being, com- you know, committing to it. And then next thing you know, I met a whole nother group of these people from church. <laughs> 
And they were like amazing. I met through Rachel Sebring that was in my Bible study with Jade. Her roommate is Bethany, who's now one of my, like those are some of my best of friends. And that's how we all connected. Next thing you know, every night of the week, we are doing something. And it's amazing from line dancing to painting to, I don't know. Next thing you know, I realized they love travel like me. (laughs) And that's when we started planning trips. And that's when you get deeper with people and God uses amazing things. So that's what happened. He, I was at a point where, where I was like, I want to go back home. I remember being in this apartment in the city that people would have loved to be a part of. And I felt empty and I knew that God was called. I knew Wendy, God was calling me at that moment. And at the same time, I did something crazy and I took my mom's ashes. And this is how you know you're in a, a really low place. I put my hands in my mom's ashes, which I don't recommend, but I put my hands in my mom's ashes and I was like, I'll never forget this. And I tell people this all the time. I say, God, please take me, make me, mold me, grow me. I'm done. I'm done. Whatever you want, I'm yours. Take it. And from no lie, from that point on, it was like one thing after another was either being taken or given. And I was like, I'm ready. Hands wide open. Let's go. And, you know, and literally, I mean, that was, I moved in January. That happened in May. And by August, I was full blown invested in this church. Um, You know, obviously there's times where things had to, you know, be refined and stuff, but that's ultimately how that happened, how that started. Wow. That's amazing. I'm trying to think if there's big moments of my life that that's happened in terms of you're at a crossroad and it's so beyond you that you're just, you're so broken to a point that you're like, God, it's either your plan or I am out. (laughs) And, and kind of like that praying dangerous prayers. I heard a song about, I need you like a hurricane. And he said, before the song, he said, be careful before you sing along because you don't know what you're singing. (laughs) And the lyrics are like, I need you like a hurricane, you know, and it like, you're basically saying like, Lord, come take everything, get it all out. Like if it doesn't have anything to do with you, take it. Yeah. And I think be careful. (laughs) Absolutely. And I think that that's one of the most beautiful, authentic heart cries that we can offer before the Lord is like, I have no idea what life is going to be like. So can you just come in and like fix it all? (laughs) Just handle it. Yeah. And then just holding with open hands. I mean, that's the biggest challenge is because a lot of times we offer it, but yet, so we're like offering it, but we're still kind of hanging on. (laughs) So it's it's true with the full open hands. So at what point during these years, did you get to meet your husband then? And he was part (laughs) of the friend group, wasn't he? Yes. So we met at um, McLean Bible and we hung out. We actually went on a date once when we first met <laughs> and we were both like, ah, oh, we'll just be friends. And so we were good friends for about a year. Wow. And then he started pursuing and I was like, Ooh, I don't want to mess this up. Like, let's just be friends. But you know, he was, he was very persistent and, and of course I was into it, but like, I didn't want to mess it up. And wow. he pulled this purity card on me one night <laughs> And I actually, now talking to him about this, sometimes he said, you know, he thought that I was going to turn that down, but instead God was doing something that I didn't see. 
he was allowing this time to happen where when Chris pulled that out with me, I said, you know, I'm okay with that practicing purity while we're dating, because I felt like I took something that God designed and made it of the world. And I'm okay with that. And um, so, yeah, so practice purity with Chris and it was great. Was it easy? No. Did we, you know, play with the lines a little bit? Yeah. But like God's forgiveness, grace, and compassion and our forgiveness and grace, compassion with each other outweighed what the enemy would have liked to ruin. Right. Yeah. So yeah, we did it for three years. Wow. Before we got married. Because I didn't come from that Christian background where things kind of were kind of organized for me, right? I had a lot of things God was doing inside of me, transforming things that it took some time. And and thankfully, Chris is, has this gift of patience sometimes with me where he wasn't pushing me too much. And, and I appreciated that because I needed that time to get there. Well, and it's not like your dating relationship was boring. I mean, <laughs> like <There's> that. <laughs> I got I had the privilege of experiencing at least two of the really fun trips. And I have to share this because it's such a fun memory. I'll never forget being on a cruise. There's like 45 of us that (laughs) all knew each other. And, you know, there's so many of us that we took up like a whole room of the dining area. (laughs) And one of the nights we went dancing as we love to do. And... I remember the DJ that night, you know, some fun like hip hop song was on and he's like, is everybody having fun tonight? And we all scream. And he's like, who's <laughs> getting drunk tonight? And crickets, like <laughs> literally no one screamed. And he was like, okay, that's an odd crowd. And then I think somebody tipped him that we were like the church crew from DC and he made some joke about that too. But we, I love that we became known as like the church crew from DC that loved to have fun and loved to have a party, but it was like pure fun. Yeah. And And I think that goes back to like what we talked about earlier is like God's call for us to have community and what that looks like, right? Like it doesn't have to look like what so many people think that is, you know, boring. Oh, let's just hang out and read or, you know, no, yeah. like let's do life. Let's yeah. do those real things and have some fun and Absolutely. go through those seasons. Oh yeah. So fun. And travel and enjoy and life and explore and all of those and things. It's, <laughs> and eat good food. We love good food. And work out a lot. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> It's wild to believe that you guys have been married for almost nine years, right? Right. That's so wild. So crazy. Okay. So let's talk about babies. I love seeing you two as a powerhouse couple that have just welcomed your kids into your busy, crazy life. You're still enjoying church with friends and their babies and still working lots, selling houses but I know the process of pregnancy wasn't easy for you. And can we talk about just a little bit of your journey and what you'd like to share there? Absolutely. So, you know, Chris and I were married for a little over five years when we decided we were ready to have kids. We don't rush anything in our, (laughs) we take our time. So at that point it wasn't happening. So we were, really trusting God in this at the same time, 
I felt like it was time. And so, you know, made sure everything was good on my end, made sure things were good on Chris's end with different tests and stuff. And they were like, due to age, let's, let's talk fertility. And I was like, okay. Like to me, fertility wasn't too scary. Um, I was 35. Fertility wasn't too, too scary for me because in the DC area, that's very common because most people are waiting to have kids until they're older because they're so career driven um, that they're focusing on that before they go to that, to that bucket. And so I was like, "Ah." you know, we had great benefits. So it covered a round of IUI, which is insemination. And I was like, oh, I'll try it. So I did that. We did that. We pumped my body with some drugs to fertility stuff. And that was crazy. I didn't know what I was signing up for. <laughs> you know, you're just like, okay. So I did that and it worked the first time. And, you know, that was, that was exciting. And so the baby was about five weeks, six weeks. And, we've, and fertility, you find out everything earlier because you're being monitored so much. So six weeks, we went in for the ultrasound. We were super excited. We had Chris's mom there because my mom's not alive, right? So of course I try to incorporate Linda in as much as possible so that we can do this together. And we're in there in the ultrasound room and it wasn't my doctor, it was another doctor. And he's like, oh, something doesn't look right. And I was like, what? Like, who does that? What kind of etiquette is that? Yeah. <laughs> um, no bedside etiquette. And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, oh, there's three things that we want to see and we're not seeing all three. So hold on a second. And I was like, what? And come to find out, you know, over the next three weeks, we found out that the baby's heart was not beating where it needed to be. And so, you know, those three or four weeks, I think it was four weeks was actually really hard because we went through this process of being not knowing what to expect and being so excited that there's this little baby and you can see the little flicker of a heart. And then them saying that next appointment, uh, it's not as strong. The doctor used this word, which I still, I hate it, but cautiously optimistic. I was like, what is that? Mm. And, um, you know, at that same time I was prepping for a breakout on purity and transformation. And it was really hard. It was a hard season for me. It was a good three to four weeks where I didn't know what was going on. I've got this baby in my stomach. And of course the doctors use a different terminology than Christians do when a baby is at that state. They're like calling it the fetal pole and all this stuff. And I'm like, no, that's a baby in there. And so it got to be pretty hard. And then they said, well, the heartbeat is, is pretty bad. It's really low. The baby, the baby's in like a cardiac arrest at that point. And so I was actually scheduled to travel for a Christian conference. And so I was like, well, if I'm traveling and this, and I'm going to miscarry, I need this to be dealt with before I leave. And if they're saying the baby's heartbeat is pretty much stopping. I need this to be um, taken care of. I, I need to get a DNC as soon as possible. I can't pass this naturally while traveling. That would be a bad idea. And so I went in for a DNC, which was very sad. And Chris's mom came with me and was by my side. And, you know, she said something that was pretty selfless to me. She said, Charmaine, I'm not trying to be your mom, but what would your mom say right now? And I was like, that, <laughs> that's just an example of how God puts people at the right time. Just say things that are like, thank you. That's all I needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was probably one of the hardest times. Wow. 
you know, and then I went for a good six months without, without wanting to try. I was like, I don't want to do anything else right now. And Chris was super patient, but very ready to be a dad. And I was like, I'm not ready for this. And I dealt with for six months. And I know we don't serve a God this, like, that's like this, but the enemy was playing with my head and was like, these are your consequences mm. for, for doing the things you did sexually. Mm. This is all on you. And I dealt with that for six months. Mm. And I, I would say I dealt with it kind of silently. I wasn't as vocal about that as, as I am about other things, but I think, I, I think I was just in this shame place. Like why? You know, there's a song, King of the World by Natalie Grant. And then the one also by Lady Antebellum, the song she made, Thy Will Be Done. Mm-hmm. Um, those two songs for six months rocked me. And I agreed to do it again. We did it four more times and it did not take. And then Chris was marathon training. I was too, but I had to stop due to fertility stuff. They don't want extra stress on your body. So I stopped training for the marathon and do it again. And Chris had the marathon. Everything like happens with your body, crazy times. So the day that I was going for insemination for, for this last try was um, the day of the marathon. So Chris couldn't be there. So Bethany went with me. (laughs) So there's Bethany and there when I'm getting inseminated. (laughs) And I prayed so much in those six months that if God was to give us a child, we would raise that child to be a messenger for God. And when we found out we were having a boy, I said, Gabriel, I want the name to be Gabriel because Gabriel means messenger of God. And our children will be destined to to share the message of God and the message of pure joy that only he can give and and live with purpose. And Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then there you go. And then I had natural childbirth, which I had to fight for because with my brain condition, that was not recommended. However, I knew what God was doing and just having natural childbirth has been able to be such a testimony to people and help them where they are. And so, yeah. And Gabriel was born at like one something in the morning. So he just hit the 21st by like (laughs) an hour. (laughs) My brother's like, good job, Charmaine. Good job, Jet. Yes, totally. Oh my gosh. Because I just want, I mean, and when the doctor asked me, why am I fighting for natural childbirth so hard when I have a medical condition that probably means I shouldn't be doing that? I said, without even knowing this was the case, it's definitely the Holy Spirit. He just said like, I'm breaking a generational curse of drugs, addiction in my life with my, and it stops right here with my son and no drug will touch his body through my body, nothing. And they stopped fighting me. Gabriel came out with nothing. He had no drugs in his system and it was, it was a beautiful thing, but it wasn't easy. I had to fight for it physically and mentally. Oh my gosh. I can't even imagine that battle. What I love about you, Charmaine, is your ability to see things for what they are and admit like their broken state, but also know that God has a plan to redeem literally everything. And while it might not be this side of heaven, a lot of those experiences are. And I love that you've gotten to see just his redemptive, like even the fact that Gabriel was born on a date that was so tragic for so long is just such a beautiful gift. So, you know, and when you say gift, I, 
I don't take that lightly because I definitely see that like how, how, what would have hurt for so long. Like God gave me this joy. Like being a mother is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Like Mm -hmm. it's hard. It's ugly sometimes, but it's also the most amazing thing because you're raising these kids to, to do something, the mission, like to love people where they are, you know, Mm -hmm. and be set apart. It's just, it's, it's crazy. (laughs) I love that. I wish I could be closer to you in proximity so I could actually engage with your kiddos. Oh, they're right up your alley. (laughs) Well, I'll have to come visit sometime. Anytime. Any words that you would like to share with somebody that's listening? Perhaps they're on a pregnancy journey or perhaps they feel forgotten by God and they've been in some really tragic moments. How would you encourage somebody to stay in their journey? I would say to stay in your journey means to let God ride it out with you, right? Like let him meet you where you are. You don't even have to search for him. He's there. And realizing that you're not in this alone and in any transition and any place in between that you're in, the reality is, is that you're not alone. And what you're scared of, God's already there assuring you he's there, right? He's got you. You're good. You're going to make it. And, you know, Chris always reminds me of this too, that there is nothing that you're going through that God hasn't seen. You know, there's no sin that you're doing that God doesn't know. And there's no hard place that God hasn't already seen us go through. And, you know, for me, I rest assured in that fact that we serve a father. He's our father. Like he wants to provide. He wants to protect all those things that a father that we want our earthly fathers to do. God's doing. And whether you want to believe it or not or accept it or not, depending on where you're at. He's there and whatever that looks like, whether you're singled or married, like mm-hmm. the God, God is still God and God is still your father and protector. And he, you know, Elroy, the God that sees, oh, that totally oh. gets me through everything, right? Elroy, so the God who sees me where I am, ugly, not ugly, beautiful, whatever, whatever mm-hmm. that is today, right? In that moment today, because what today is, is not tomorrow, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's what I would say is just, you know, be be confident in the God that you serve. Be confident in the promises. And the only way you're going to know those things is if you really know who he is. And you know, we're not we're not meant to know it all. And I honestly say, like, you don't always have to read the Bible to get the answers. You know, obviously God uses his spirit to talk to you. And music to me is is something that touches me in so many ways. So, you know, when I'm in those raw moments, I I I go where God's guiding me to go. And, you know, I think I think that anyone that's in between places usually means God's about to do something awesome. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I love that. Absolutely. I totally agree. I'm like, <laughs> wrap it up, folks. <laughs> so, okay. Well, as we wrap, tell us what place are you between and how can we be praying for you? Oh, yeah. I would say when I think about that, really transparency is the, the place of mom, career, wife, right? Those three things and Charmaine, right? Cause I'm still me. So being able to not so much balance, but prioritize, right? Because I think that that is balance. That word balance is used a lot, but I think it's all about prioritizing 
and what's important and realizing God's mission for my life and putting my energy in that. And so I'm realizing I can't be everything to everybody, but God has definitely called me to be in specific places right now. So I would just say like, if you could pray for me just on the priorities of what that looks like and being okay with falling short in some things that I've always been really good at. Mm. And I know that God gave me these three kids. My twins were not something I prayed for. <laughs> yeah. And God has a sense of humor, but but they're amazing and they're draining. But like just praying that God gives me the energy and the direction that I need to teach them and guide them and love them and be the example that they need in their lives to make a difference. Absolutely. We would be honored to pray for you and thank you for sharing just a little bit of your story with us today. And I just, I think there's so much wisdom that we can glean from your experiences and then even just learning from you in the process. So hang on for a sec. I'm going to wrap up and um, thanks for joining us on the Places Between. Thank you. Like, unbelievable, right? She, too, like, I think what's so amazing, she's gone through so many struggles in her life, right? And her outlook and her personality and her kindness and just the generosity in which she talked about things with you, I think is so beautiful. And there were so many takeaways. I know it will inspire people that have struggled with infertility, like that journey. And that was so painful and so difficult, right? But then you look at her early life, and one of the things that I really connected with just having some addiction in my own family is I think sometimes from the outside, you can kind of have this overview of what people who struggle with addiction are like, you know, or the lie that they are unloving to their children or they don't love their children or, or all these lies. And yet how she talks about her mom's own struggle and that her mom was her best friend and just this love and generosity that, you know, her mom was loving her the best she could. And that there was real love there and real caring there. And I, I so appreciate when we can hear children of people who have struggled with addiction or spouses of people who struggle with addiction that talk about the addiction wasn't them, mm-hmm. you know? And so I think, in, you know, what's so beautiful about the Lord, right? He sees, he sees us all as individuals. He knows our struggles. He knows where he, we're coming from. And he loves us passionately in the midst of them. And I thought that was so beautiful. I'm so grateful that she shared that and the love in which she talked about her mom, I thought was so powerful. I love that. Yeah. She, I was thinking about her story the other day. She's just been through so much from an early age. I can't imagine a 16 year old being diagnosed with a brain condition going through all she went through as an early young adult. And then even coming out like really on top of just being like, I'm not going to let this paralyze me and I'm also not going to play a victim. So I think the challenging thing for us is to actually think about like our own circumstances and the things that we've been through that even just feel potentially horrific or super traumatic and just remember that God is a good, good father and he desires to redeem every single aspect of our life. Absolutely. Absolutely. I totally agree. That reminder that we live in a broken world with broken bodies and disease and trauma and 
horrible, tragic things will happen. And yet we have a God who is in the midst, who is willing to put out his hand and hold us and redeem us and be with us in the midst of it. Emmanuel. So beautiful. I can't, I really want to meet her in person now. (laughs) (laughs) We hope you all really enjoyed Charmaine and thank you so much for being here this week. And we're excited to see you all next week. Have a great day. I'm over here cheering you on friend. You just finished another episode of the places between podcast. If you want to access more, be sure to subscribe or visit theplacesbetween.com to learn more about our guests, episode sponsors, upcoming retreats, and more. Like Stay in the Story, a 25-day devotional all about staying in your story while you wait on your dreams, on God, and on life to come to fruition. And lastly, if you're looking for an online community of people who also want to transition well, then come say hi over on Instagram at The Places Between. As always, thanks for taking time to dive into The Places Between. Until next time, keep enjoying that journey.